And let's see, I, I failed to give one announcement. If you'll uh, uh, remember, next Sunday, March the 24th, after the evening service, there'll be a food item, uh, a food and item auction uh, in the uh, chapel, and that'll, that's a, an LBS high school trip fundraiser. And so uh, please uh, keep that in mind. That's next Sunday night, March the 24th. So uh, keep that in mind, if you will. If you have a Bible, turn with me, please, to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And uh, again, I commend you for being faithful on uh, this Lord's Day. And I, I love Sunday. Our, <clears throat> I used to lead an adult choir, and, and uh, often on Sunday morning, the opening song would be, There's something different in the air. It's Sunday. I love Sundays. And uh, there is something different about it. And uh, praise the Lord for it. Philippians chapter 1, and then if you'll hold your place there, <clears throat> and also look at the book of Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter number 11, and we'll begin reading in Philippians chapter 1, and then we'll read over in Acts chapter number 11. If you'll stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word in Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> How many of you are tired still? Still haven't got that extra hour of sleep you missed from last week, did you? And uh, all right, <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1. And we'll begin reading in verse number 20. The Bible says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Now this is the Apostle Paul writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course, and he's writing to the church at Philippi. He said, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, notice what he says, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Now, a little background here. Paul was writing this. This is one of the prison epistles. And he didn't know what the future held for him. He didn't know if he was going to be released or if he was going to be martyred. Eventually, we know that uh, uh, at some point he was martyred for the cause of Christ. But he said it doesn't matter. He said because whether it be by life or, or death, he said, I want Christ to be magnified. Look at verse number 21. He said, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I want to focus especially on that little line that says, for me to live is Christ, or if you will, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. Now, flip over to Acts chapter 11, the book of Acts <clears throat> chapter number 11. And look with me, please, at verse number 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul, Verse 26, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. I want to preach to you this morning on this subject, the Jesus life. The Jesus life. And let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that you'd help us in these next few moments. Very simple thought a very practical truth. Jesus, after all you did for us, we certainly owe you everything that we have. We owe you our life. We owe you our existence. We owe you uh, our very being. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to see a very practical, uh, biblical truth this morning from your word. And uh, may your spirit <clears throat> minister the, the message to the hearts of every single person here. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. 
Interesting line there in Acts chapter 11, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. We use the word Christian very loosely nowadays. In our vernacular, uh, a Christian is a, a part of any quote-unquote faith that uh, has anything to do with Jesus or, or uh, the God of the Bible. It's a very loose definition, especially by the world's terms. Everybody and their mother is a Christian as far as the world is concerned. But understand, not everybody's a Christian as far as God's concerned. The Bible says that the disciples, the church at Antioch, was the first place where the term Christian was, was coined. I've often wondered about the history of that statement, and there has to be a story behind it. You know, when we get to heaven, uh, uh, I'm convinced that there's going to be all kinds of things that, uh, uh, that we'll be able to view from history, uh, Bible stories and so forth, and things that happened. And, and uh, how many times have you read your Bible, and you, you, you read a story, and you say to yourself, I'd give anything if I could have been there to see that firsthand. I'd love to have been there to have heard that with my own ears. I'd love to experience that like the people who were there experienced it. Well, this is one of those stories I'm a little bit curious about. How exactly did the term Christian come about? Uh, was it a byword? Was it meant in a derogatory manner? Was it meant to be an insult? Was it meant to be, uh, to, you know, was it, uh, did it originate with somebody <clears throat> who was angry at somebody who maybe tried to share the gospel with them in Antioch? And, uh, and they said, yeah, you're one, you're one of those Christians. Yeah, we know who you are. However it started, whether it started as a compliment or a byword or an insult, we don't know for sure. But however it started and whatever the intent by the first person to use the word, it stuck. <laughs> it stuck. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And by the way, you ought to desire to be called and recognized as a Christian. Well, that ought to be your heart's desire. That ought to be something that you wear as a badge of honor if someone comes to you and says, hey, you're a Christian, aren't you? Well, you ought not, you ought not kowtow to that. Uh, you ought not run from that. You ought not be ashamed of that. You ought not be embarrassed by that at all. And by the way, if you are embarrassed by that, there's something a little bit wrong there. But the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Maybe they said, look, those people look like Jesus. Let's call them Christians. <laughs> Maybe they said, look, those people act like Jesus. Let's call them hmm, Christians. Maybe they said, look, those people are doing the same kinds of things that Jesus did when he was among, uh, when he was down in Jerusalem living among men uh, before he was crucified. And maybe there weren't even people who believed in Jesus. Maybe there weren't even people who were Christians themselves, but yet they tagged this group of people in Antioch, Christians. What it turned out to be was a great compliment. And if my life could remind people of Jesus, hey, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. If your life could be characterized as that which reminds somebody of the Savior, what a wonderful way to be recognized. What a wonderful way for people to tag you, if you will. The fact is, our life ought to be a reflection of who Jesus is and what he's all about. Our life ought to be a reflection of the Son of God, <clears throat> just like the moon has no light of its own, but yet it reflects the light of the sun in our solar system. Hey, <clears throat> you and I, as children of God, <clears throat> as Christians, <clears throat> we have no light of our own. 
Jesus is the light of the world, the Bible says. And he said, uh, you, you, uh, you ought not hide your light from men. He said, let your light shine uh, that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. But you know, the light that we allow to shine, it's not my light, it's Jesus' light. It's from the sun, the S-O-N. The fact is, our life is a reflection of who Jesus is. If your world revolves around you, that's a pretty small world. By the way, we have, there's a lot of people running around in our world today who live in their own little world. But may I say, a life that is totally wrapped up in self, a life that is totally revolving around you and your agenda and your world. And look, I understand, uh, we, all get, we all get wrapped up in our little world every now and then. That's just, it's, it's, it's humanity, it's part of who we are. But every now and then, we need to be reminded that life is more than just me. It's more than just my issues and my problems in my world. No, listen to me this morning. If your world revolves around you, when all of life is said and done, it's a pretty insignificant existence. Because there's 7 billion people in the world, and, and Jesus needs somebody to represent him down here in this world. That's what he needs. Uh, little, little Jesuses, if you will. Little Christians, if you will. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The wise man Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes said this, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. All of this life is vanity. What does it mean? It's vain. It's empty. It's, uh, <clears throat> there's not much to it. And that's the life that is lived for self. But the life that's lived for Jesus Christ is a full life. It's an abundant life. It's a life that's worth living. It's a life that's worth sharing. It's a life that is, uh, that is full of meaning and full of promise and full of hope and, uh, and full of abundance. It is, life is meaningless unless it is lived for someone or something greater than ourselves. And we need to be reminded of that this morning. Our life is all about Jesus Christ, or at least it should be. It should be. The message is simple this morning. Your life and my life will become far more effective when we live what I'm going to call this morning the Jesus life. The Jesus life. <clears throat> Paul said, Christ shall be magnified in my body. Back in the, in the text that we read a few moments ago in Philippians chapter 1, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he said, it's my desire for Jesus to be magnified in my body. And what I do and where I go and how I live and, and the people that I come into contact with and the messages that I preach and my activities and my language and my thoughts and, and everything that I do, I want Jesus Christ to be magnified because of my life. You take a magnifying glass and, uh, and you, you, you use it to, uh, to make something look bigger. And, uh, and I got these reading glasses a few years ago. Uh, why? Because my, my outline got smaller and smaller and smaller. The other day I was looking through some, uh, some old sermon outlines and so forth and trying to categorize them, file them away in a, in a, in a way that made sense. And I went back <coughs> to, uh, to pre-April 2015. <laughs> and all the sermon outlines were in, were in like, it's, it was like the, the stuff that you read on the back of a credit card application. <laughs> I thought, how in the world did I read this? That's what it looked like. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I, got this, I got these reading glasses, and it, what did it do? It, it, made, it makes things look bigger, amen? So I can read it. Well, you know what? My life is supposed to make Jesus look bigger to a world that needs to know him. 
My life is supposed to put a magnifying glass over the life of Christ and how I live and how I talk and how I behave and how I conduct myself ought to make Jesus look good. I'm to magnify the Savior. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 4, the Bible says this, when Christ who is our life, did you get that? When Christ, who is our life, not part of my life, not relegated to a corner somewhere, not just a Sunday morning Jesus, not just a Sunday night Jesus, not just a Wednesday night Jesus. Hey, not just a, uh, you know, whenever I really am in, a, am in a pinch and I really need to hear from God, and so I decide to pray. No, no. He said, Jesus is my life. He is my life. The life that magnifies the Savior, the life that is a billboard for all the world to see what Jesus was all about. You know, I, uh, I grew up in church. I, I, I say it often. I was born on Tuesday, and I was in church the following Sunday. I was, uh, like what one preacher said, he said, I was drugged as a kid. I was drugged to church on Sunday and drugged to church on Sunday night and drugged to church on Wednesday night. That, that's my testimony. I grew up in church. I, uh, I grew up through the, the nursery department and then the primaries and, and uh, the juniors and the teenagers and so forth. My earliest memories of childhood include Sunday school. And by the way, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. But let me just pull over and say this. Mom and dad, it's a good idea to keep your, keep your kids locked into church. Get them plugged into the program. Get them plugged into Sunday school. Get them plugged in as they grow older and become teenagers. Get them plugged into the, to the, the, the youth department. Get them plugged into everything you can that's going to point them to Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's exactly what it's all about. My earliest memories of childhood include Sunday school. I remember flannel graph boards. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Flannel graph, amen? And uh, now that we're in the computer age, <laughs> teachers might bring their, uh, their flannel graph stuff. It might be on an iPad now for all I know. But uh, back in the day, the flannel graph board, and, and, uh, and I remember that like it was yesterday. It wasn't yesterday. Uh, I remember coloring pages of Bible stories. I remember coloring <laughs> Noah's Ark. And uh, every picture you ever saw of Noah's Ark in a coloring book has two giraffe heads sticking up out of the middle of it. You, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I remember that. I grew up in church. I grew up in junior church. I remember in junior church there was a they'd have a they'd have a puppet show in there every now and then to illustrate a point and and uh, one of the characters was called Mr. Sin. Mr. Sin came into the junior church every now and then and every every Sunday when Mr. Sin came into junior church we all booed him. Boo! Anyway, that's where I got my good sportsmanship from. But anyway, uh, <coughs> from junior church, amen. But uh, you know. It's all I ever knew. It's how I grew up. Jesus was so familiar to me. I heard the gospel all the time. But you know what? Your coworkers may not have had that. Your neighbors may not know who Jesus is. The people that you come into contact with on a regular basis, day after day after day after day, they may have no idea about who this Jesus is. Your friends and acquaintances on the job may not be familiar with who Jesus is. That's why they need you. That's why they need you. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27, the Bible tells us, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, don't miss it, which is Christ, the hope of glory. That's not what it says. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
You say, Jesus is the hope of glory. Oh, yes, he is. But if the world is going to know about the Jesus who is the hope of glory, it's got to be not just Christ in glory or the Christ of glory, but Christ in you, the hope of glory. Somebody's got to show them. You understand something? You may be the only Bible that your neighbor ever reads. Your coworker, the only thing they, they may ever be exposed to about church or Christianity or Jesus Christ or the Bible or salvation or the gospel, the only exposure they may ever have to those things is wrapped up in you. That's an awesome thought. That's a humbling thought. It's a sobering thought. Christ in you, the hope of glory. They need to see the, the, the Jesus life, if you will. They need to see it portrayed in front of them. They need to see it modeled in front of them. They need to see it mentored in front of them. They need to see it uh, on display and applied. Not just, not just, well, I know they go to church, but on Monday I hear all kinds of fussing and carrying on and, and things flying around. No, no, no. It ought to be something where they see the Jesus life by observing your life. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Somebody said, hey, they, those people down there at that First Baptist Church of Antioch, they remind us of Jesus. We didn't know Jesus. We were down in Jerusalem when Jesus was uh, healing sick folks and, and when he was uh, raising the dead and casting out devils and, and doing good to people. We didn't know him then, but from what we hear about him, those people, they live just like him. They live just like him. They do good to people. They help people. They encourage people. They talk right, and they, they, uh, they, they have the appearance of someone who is, who is full, of, uh, full of joy and happiness and, and, uh, and peace and so forth. That's what the world needs from the people who sit in this room this morning. I want to share just a few thoughts with you about what exactly does the Jesus life look like? What, is it, what, is, what exactly does it mean to live the life that magnifies the Savior, as the Apostle Paul said? What exactly did he mean when he said, who, when Christ, who is our life, what does a person look like who exemplifies Jesus? Let me give you several statements. We'll be done. Number one, the Jesus life is a life of obedience. The Jesus life is a life of obedience. Obedience to what? Obedience to whom? Well, let me share with you a thought. Acts chapter 9 and verse number 6. You need not turn to it. I'll read it for you. In Acts chapter 9 is the story of the conversion experience, the salvation experience of the apostle Paul. At that time, he was known as Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was famous for persecuting Christians. Now, some folks, you may not have known that, but the, the, the same man who penned who, who was used by God to write 13, at least 13 books of the New Testament. That same man, we know him as the Apostle Paul after he got saved, but before he got saved, he was a jerk. He was Saul of Tarsus. He, uh, he made his living persecuting Christians. He was on his way to Damascus to gather up some more uh, uh, Christians, if you will, and he had, uh, he had warrants for their arrest. He was going to take them to prison. In some cases, he killed them. In some cases, he persecuted them. In many cases, he imprisoned them. This was a bad guy, okay, Saul of Tarsus. And he's on his way to Damascus. And you may know the story. He's on his way there, and a light shines from heaven. He, he, uh, he, he looks up to heaven, and he sees Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. That, by the way, that's, what, that's how he's able to be an apostle. An apostle has to have seen the resurrected Christ. 
He looks up and he sees Jesus, and Jesus looks down at Paul, and in Acts chapter 9, in verse number 6, we read Paul's answer to Jesus. Jesus said, hey, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And look at what Saul said in verse 6, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now, this is the first time Saul ever referred to Jesus as Lord, because before this, he was persecuting Christians, and now he's acknowledging who he really is. Saul got saved. Saul received Christ as his Savior, and now he looks up and he said, Jesus, you just tell me whatever you want me to do, and it's done. You see, the Jesus life is a life of obedience. It's a life of obedience. Jesus said in John chapter 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. And then he goes on to say, my commandments are not grievous. My commandments won't make you upset if you love me. My commandments won't give you indigestion because if you love me. You know, some people, they really have a hard time with this whole idea of obedience to the Lord. Because... Really, obedience is a problem only for those who are absorbed in what they want to do rather than what God wants them to do. Yeah, that's right. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. The Jesus life is characterized as a life of obedience. Lord, what do you want me to do? There, there can be nothing too great. There can be no sacrifice too large. There can be nothing that's too egregious. There can be nothing that is going to, to, uh, uh, to, to rub me the wrong way, as it were. Jesus, you just let me know. And by the way, if you have a heart to know what God wants you to know, he'll tell you. He'll tell you. You see, many times we have a problem with obedience because we're too wrapped up in, again, in not the Jesus life, but in, God, this is my life. It's what I want. It's what I want to do. It's where I want to go. It's how I want to dress. It's how I want to talk. It's how I want to walk. It's how I want to behave myself or not behave myself, as it were. But let me tell you something. When, when you love someone, obedience isn't a big deal. Submission to what they would request, that's not a big deal. Look, here's, here's the way I believe that God wants us to look at this. You know, Jesus saved my soul from hell. What a wonderful thing. If you're saved, tonight, if you're saved this morning, say amen. amen. That's, that's a wonderful thing. Jesus saved my soul from, from eternal fire. I don't know about you, that's a big deal for me. <laughs> it ought to be a big deal for everybody who's experienced that. The way I look at it is simply this. If someone did all of that for me, what in the world could they ask me to do that, would I, that I would consider unreasonable? You follow what I'm saying? I remember when I was, uh, when I was a teenager, we were at, a, at camp one, uh, one fall. It was a weekend uh, camping trip, uh, fall retreat or whatever. And I remember uh, the rules were you had to wear a, uh, a life jacket if you were going to get in the canoes. But, well, I had a buddy of mine who was, uh, he was too cool for the life jacket, amen? Not only that, he couldn't swim. <laughs> but, but anyway... But he was, uh, he was too cool to wear a life jacket. And so he jumped in there because, uh, you know, he didn't want all the girls seeing him put this life jacket on because <clears throat> he tried to be cool. You know, he was probably, I don't know, eighth, ninth grade at the time. And so he's out there. And uh, as will inevitably happen when you put canoes on a lake with a bunch of teenagers in them, it's called 
ramming speed. Amen. <laughs> and there's inevitably going to be one canoe who tries to turn over another canoe. Well, the kid who didn't put on the life jacket, he was in the canoe that was hit. Long story short, he flips over and he can't swim. Well, uh, a guy sees him, he jumps off the pier, he swims out there. And uh, as you've probably seen or heard many times, uh, it's, sometimes the guy who's trying to save the guy's life who's drowning is the guy who, who goes down because... Uh, because he's fighting and so forth. So he cracks a guy on the head and he drags him to shore and uh, uh, essentially, you know, could have very well saved his life that day. For the rest of the weekend, the kid who fell in, he followed that guy around like a puppy dog. Anything I can do for you? (laughs) Hey, you need to drink? You need a Coke? Uh, Can I get you some chips at the concession stand? Can I do this? Can I do that? You know why? He felt a sense of gratitude. He felt a sense of indebtedness to the one who drug him out of the pond. By the way, that's exactly what Jesus did for you and me. That's what he did for us. Hey, what could he ask me to do that would be unreasonable? Nothing. Not one thing. Hey, if he asked me to be faithful to church, is that unreasonable? Of course not. If he asked me to talk right and uh, and be a good testimony where I work, is that too much to ask? Of course not. If you knew some of the people I work with. Anyway, uh, <laughs> of course not. It's, hey, the Jesus life is a life of obedience. A life of obedience. It's not, what do I have to do to stay inside of what God wants me? It's, how can I please him? That ought to be our heart's desire, folks. How can I please the one who saved my soul? That'll be our attitude. Number two, I got to hurry. The Jesus life is not only a life of obedience, but it's a life of service. It's a life of service. Acts chapter 10 and verse number 38, the Bible says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good. Now that verse is talking about Jesus. That was the testimony of Christ when he was on this earth. In his 33 years uh, on this earth, his three and a half year ministry on the earth, Jesus' life was characterized as someone who went about doing good. Now, that's how Jesus lived. If I'm going to be rightly termed a Christian, if I'm going to correctly be termed someone who's a follower of Jesus Christ, then what do I need to do? The Jesus life is all about a life of service. It's about doing something for others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. How many times, again, it goes back to not being wrapped up in ourselves, but the Jesus life, if we're really going to live like Christ, we got to live for others. We have to live for others. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and was made in the form of a servant. A servant. Jesus did not come to have everybody serve him. Now, he could have. And if anybody deserved to be served, it would be the Son of God. I think we'd all agree with that. If a head of state came to visit with us this morning, if a dignitary, a, uh, a political leader, uh, whether it be uh, at, the, at the local or the state or the federal level came, uh, we would, uh, we'd go out of our way trying to serve them. You know why? Because they're, they're a dignitary. Hey, Jesus was the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and yet he comes and is born in a lowly manger stable, 
in Bethlehem, he grows up, and instead of demanding to be served by everybody, what does he say? Is there anything I can do for you? How can I help you? Hey, <clears throat> is there a need that I can fill for you? Uh, he found the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the lame man by the pool of Bethesda, and he healed him. He found old blind Bartimaeus on the side of the road, and he touched his eyes and made him see again. He found little, uh, the, the daughter of Jairus uh, who, was, uh, who was dead, and he raised her from the dead. And that was the life of Christ. He fed the multitudes, and he made the, the, the deaf ears to hear, and the blind eyes to see. And he touched the lives of person after person after person after person. You say, well, you say, preacher, I can't, I can't touch blind eyes and make them see, and I can't touch deaf ears and make them hear. No, but you can do good. You can find a way, an avenue to serve the Lord. Thank God for the local church that gives us all kinds of outlets and all kinds of opportunities to serve the Lord. Why? Because that's the Jesus life. That's the Jesus life. Hey, I can tell others about Christ. That's the Jesus life. I can serve him. I can encourage people. I can, I, I can try to do good to my fellow man. Hey, doing good does not take you to heaven, my friend. But we're supposed to do good because we're going to heaven. Because Jesus saved me. Because of what he's done for me. Brother Justin, because I've been rescued from the fires of hell, I ought to spend my life doing good. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. He went about doing good. It was a life of obedience. It was a life of service. Hey, <clears throat> the Jesus life is a life of power. The Jesus life is a life of power. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then he goes on in the next verse and says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He's talking there about witnessing to people and sharing the gospel with people. But notice, he gives us the impetus for that, the power. He said, All power is given unto me. Go ye therefore. The Jesus life is a life of power. In Proverbs, I'm sorry, in uh, Philippians chapter 4, it's, uh, it's our theme verse for 2019. All things through Christ... That's what Paul said. I can do all things through Christ, not through myself. I can, do, I can do nothing through myself. Jesus said in John 15, without me, you can do nothing. With me, you can do everything. All things through Christ. Jesus is the power through which we are to live this life. He said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and, and be witnesses unto me. Go ye therefore and, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Hey, what you saw a little while ago, this young man who followed Lord Believer's baptism, <clears throat> by the way, that did not save him. He received Christ into his heart. He made a public profession. And the Bible says the first thing we're to do after that is to be baptized. But wait a minute. The power for us to spread the gospel is through Christ. That's the Jesus life. And not only that, the power for us to do anything, the power to get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> comes from Christ. I can do all things through Christ. Whatever you're facing this morning, hey, understand, Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never turn my back on you. Hey, I'll never walk away from you. Whatever you do for the Lord can be done not through the power of the flesh, but through the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's the Jesus life. It's a life of power. Hey, it's a life of sacrifice. The Jesus life is a life of sacrifice. Jesus said in John 15 and verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. You say, oh, pastor, this, this life of Christ, this living the Jesus life, this 
Christian life. It's really exciting. Oh, yes, it's exciting, but there is a sacrifice involved. There's a sacrifice involved. The Jesus life is a life of sacrifice. It's a life of setting aside everything that you want in deference to everything that God wants. Now, let me remind you, that's a very small sacrifice. After what he did for me, if you want to talk about sacrifice, the first place you have to start is Calvary. Calvary is the ultimate place of sacrifice. A friend of mine was on a trip to the Holy Land a couple of weeks ago, and he, he, uh, he posted a picture of Golgotha, and it's called the Place of the Skull. Some of you have been there. Some of you have been privileged to take trips to the Holy Land. You've seen it firsthand, the Place of Skull. You know why I call it Place of Skull? Because it was a, it was a place of sacrifice. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever died on the cross there, there was another sacrifice that was made. Abraham took his adult son, Isaac, to Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, hundreds of years later, was that place of the skull. That very spot where Abraham raised or, or, or put the knife to the throat of his own son, Isaac, and would have sacrificed him in obedience to what God asked him to do, only to hear God say, Abraham, whoa, whoa, hang on, hang on, don't hurt your son. And God provided himself a lamb there caught in the thicket and Abraham, but God understood, <clears throat> and Abraham understood more about Abraham that day. Abraham was willing to sacrifice the dearest thing he had because God asked him to. Again, what could God ask me that would be greater than my ability to obey or to sacrifice? You see, the Christian life, the Jesus life, is a life of sacrifice. I'll promise you this, whatever it is that you quote-unquote give up for God is nothing compared to what He gave up for you. We've got to keep it in perspective. Sometimes we, we, uh, we, we give ourselves the martyr's complex. Well, you know, I, <clears throat> I gave up this, and I gave up that for the Lord, and I did this, and, and uh, I gave my life to Christ, and, and I gave up this habit, and I gave up that habit, and I gave up that vice or whatever. Oh, it's so hard. Wait a minute. Jesus died for you. He died on a cross for you. He dipped his own soul into hell, as it were. He, he, he went to the grave for you. Is there anything that I could do that would be too much to sacrifice for him? I don't think so. I don't think so. The Jesus life is a life of separation. Jesus, <clears throat> hey, he was distinct from the crowd. Now, Jesus was a, he looked like any other Jew. The Bible says he came into his own, meaning he was of Jewish descent, humanly speaking. We know God was his father. But he looked like the ordinary person. But wait a minute. Jesus separated himself by what he did how he carried himself, how he behaved himself. You see, the Jesus life is a life of separation. He said, I do always those things that please the Father. And let me tell you something. When you set out to only do the things that please God, you'll separate yourself from the crowd. There'll be a natural separation there. You don't have to worry about that. It's a life of separation. Then I want you to see this. The life of Christ, the Jesus life, if you will, is a life of victory. It's a life of victory. Hey, I'm not trying to quote a Christmas movie here, but it's a wonderful life. <laughs> it's a wonderful life. The life of Christ, the life, the Jesus life, oh yes, there's suffering. Oh yes, if we live in a way that pleases the Lord, there'll be some separation there. Oh yes, there's a life of obedience and power and all of that. But let me tell you, 
when it all's said and done and what it all boils down to is this the jesus life it's a good life it's a life of 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 victory i challenge you to find somebody who has lived their life for the lord find them on their deathbed and ask them if it was worth it i've never talked to any elderly person who has lived a life for the lord who has told me you know what if i had to do over again I'd never, I'd never live for God. Not once. Now, granted, <clears throat> I'm not an old man, and I appreciate you agree with me on that. <laughs> I aim to get a lot older. <laughs> Lord, Lord being my helper. But I have been in full-time ministry now for almost 26 years, and not one time, not one time, Brother Mike, has anybody come to me and said, you know what my problem is? I just gave God too much. I did too much living for the Lord. I did too much giving. <laughs> I did too much living for others. I did too much sacrifice. I did too much when it came to serving Jesus. Never one time has anybody ever said that after a lifetime of service to the Lord. But I'll tell you what I have had happen to me. I've had people who were approaching the end who'd say things like, boy, I wish I'd done more. And, you know, I think all of us will feel that way to some degree, no matter what we do for the Lord, because he's done so much for us. Hey, that's the Jesus life. That's the life that I want to live. That's the life of victory. That's the life where you get to the end of the road and you look back and, oh, yeah, there have been ups and downs. And, yes, uh, n- none of us are going to live uh, the, the perfect life because we still live in this flesh. We understand that. But, man, let me tell you something. A life that is lived for Christ is a life without regrets a life that is lived for christ and i say without regrets obviously and again in the flesh we're all gonna look back and say you know what if i could have done that a little differently maybe i'd give a little more maybe i had done something else i'm talking in general terms now when you get to the end of the road one day as far as this life is concerned you're either going to say i'm glad i did or i wish i had i wish i had the jesus life why don't you get on board with it today you say, Pastor, I'm, I'm well into life. It's a little bit late now. Hey, never too late to buy into what God has for you. Not too late. By the way, the only way to start the Jesus life, you've got to receive him as your Savior first. The Jesus life began with the Apostle Paul. And by the way, Paul was no spring chicken when he got saved, okay? The guy that we refer to sometimes as the greatest missionary who ever lived, the wonderful Apostle Paul, he was probably, he was certainly well into his adult years before he had that meeting with Jesus on the road to Damascus. You say, preacher, I've got wasted years. So did Paul. I think he did okay. You say, preacher, I, man, I, if I could go back and, and I've, I've got so many regrets about my past before I got saved. Don't you think Paul did? Certainly he did. But there was a day in his life where Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he said, you know what, I can't do anything about last week, last year, last decade, but from this point on, hey, it's the Jesus life for me. He said, the life that I now live, I live after the the life of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hey, you can make that same decision. Starting today. Starting today. March, whatever today is, St. Patrick's Day, 17th, 2019. For me... It's the Jesus life. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Every head bowed, every eye is closed.